Good morning. I'm so excited for you guys to hear the podcast that I have ready for you finally. This is okay, wait, actually, let me hold go back for a second. When I had the idea to start a podcast and then I had the idea to call it Rantish, I thought it would be fun. I guess that's the right word to talk about different things that I'm rantish about or just things that I feel strongly about, I guess. And so I started making a list of things that I feel strongly about and potential people who I would want to discuss those ideas with. And one of the things that I wrote down top of the list was the concept of faith. And immediately the person that came to mind is my friend Aubrey, who is one of the hosts of the Faith Matters podcast. I have always been a religious person and a spiritual person and a person of faith. And in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years, I would say I have definitely started thinking about faith a little bit differently than I did before. And finding the organization Faith Matters has been really, really beneficial to me. I think that they are doing a lot of really incredible things and hosting a lot of really incredible conversations over on their podcast. And since Aubrey is the host of that podcast, I thought she would be a great person to come discuss this topic with me. I will include in the show notes, if you're not familiar with Faith Matters, I will include some of my favorite podcast episodes that they have done that I've listened to and loved. Some of them are podcasts that I want to listen to more than once because they can be a lot to take in. (laughs) Um, Maybe totally new ways of thinking about things or um, I don't know. Anyway, Love Faith Matters. They have a website as well. They have events. They have all kinds of different things. So if you enjoy this conversation with Aubrey and I, I strongly recommend you go over and check out what they have going on over there. And one thing I wanted to point out as I was getting this podcast ready to share with all of you guys, Aubrey and I talk about different frameworks for stages of faith. And that to me has been one of the most helpful tools when I felt my faith shifting and started feeling panicked maybe about that a little bit learning about the stages of faith and learning different frameworks to talk about stages of faith was really helpful and helped me feel peace. But one thing that Aubrey pointed out that I don't know that I fully recognized um, before was just how it's really important to realize that like certain stages of faith aren't better or worse than other stages. Like they're all good. They all have their shortcomings and their what is the opposite of shortcomings? (laughs) They all have pros, they all have cons, right? And the idea is, is that we might be going through these phases and then it's not like once you've gone through all the phases, you're done. You might be going through these phases with different things at any point and then going through them again and again and just the growth that comes from that. So I hope you'll pay attention to when she talks about that because I thought that was so wise and such a good point. All right, without further ado, here is the episode that I recorded with Aubrey Chavez with Aubrey Chavez back in like I don't even know, March. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Rantish podcast. 
I'm so excited about my host today, Aubrey Chavez. Not my host. Well, you can be a <laughs> I'm co-host. excited about my host. You're a co-host today, <laughs> Aubrey Chavez. Um, and what are you rantish about, Aubrey? Okay, I think if I had to think of one thing, something that sort of ties together so many different contexts of my life would be certainty. I think I grew up really believing that certainty was the same as truth. And I feel like that's a lesson that I am learning over and over and over, that certainty and truth are totally different. And that actually certainty can be an obstacle to to finding truth. I love that. Okay, let's take one step back. So yeah. Aubrey and I met because my husband, Stephen, worked with her husband, Tim, at a company that Tim co-founded. And um, so we just kind of like met through that. And now Aubrey and her husband, Tim, are actually hosts of the podcast, Faith Matters. And so I've gotten to know her even a little bit better through listening to that podcast because I really like it. And and there's actually an episode that I listened to pretty recently about the sin of certainty that you guys did. So yes. I hope we'll be able to talk about that in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But I would love to hear a little bit more about how you even got into Faith Matters or why, okay. what your story was with all that coming sure. to you. Sure. Okay. So, in, so Tim and I were married in 2006. And, um, and we actually sort of grew up together. We went to the same middle school. We met first day of seventh grade and we were really good friends all through high school. And we had really good friends. We had friends that just made it easy to be good people. And, you know, when people talk about peer pressure, I related to that, but in the opposite way that I think most kids do, I like, there was pressure to be good and to try hard. And, and I, I, that was, those were really formative years and they were, they were as good as they could get. We were, we were, we had this group of friends who were the friends that like our parents would have picked for us, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it made it, it made it just easy to get through those high school years because there was a kind of the safety net of people expecting the best from you and, and who were also holding themselves to really high standards. And you guys grew up here in Utah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so Tim and I were, were just best, best friends. I went to Utah state and he went to BYU and then left on a mission to Uruguay and um, when and then and then when he got home, we um, we were the only two who were home for a semester of college and started just hanging out again and dating pretty quickly. And we got married just six there, months after he got home. Had there been like romantic interest? Up yes. Until the, okay. I think I yeah. I always I had always. Um, I he was like just a magnet. I just couldn't. I just <laughs> I I couldn't just not love him all through high school. And I I I had a lot. That's a whole other story. But I had a lot of anxiety about like we shouldn't be dating serious I shouldn't be dating seriously anyone in high school and I I was always trying to be careful to not let that happen and so in a way that was sort of a gift because we just stayed best best friends but I always I just always had these feelings for him and and so we had this amazing foundation of friendship and our families knew each other and so it was it was just like as good as it could be and then when he came home and the timing was perfect then we um we just fell in love all the way and we're married a few months after he got back. So anyway, so that's, that's us. So we have this foundation that was really built on the church. Our friendship was built on this idea of, you know, being part of the gospel and having these testimonies that were so strong. And like, that was so much a part of our identity together and as individuals. And, um, and, we had two little kids that so we've been married about f- maybe like four years. <clears throat> and Tim said to me, you know, what felt very out of the blue one night that he wasn't sure if he had a testimony. 
And I rem- it, it was like a falling backwards in slow motion moment. Like it caught me so off guard. It was just, it was like the most shocking confession. It felt like a confession. Because he'd never made any sorts of comments. He had, he had read, he had started reading Rough Stone Rolling. And I remember being like, why are you reading that? Like that's not faith promoting. And it felt kind of dangerous. And, and, but he was doing it with the best of intentions. He wanted to read it to understand the criticisms that he was hearing from from outsiders and so I respected it but it did it made me a little nervous but I would say that's the closest I had ever gotten to knowing that there was something going on and but the experience was was it's like a before and after moment kind of you know like it felt like everything either happened in our life (laughs) like everything comes down to if it was before or after that moment Hmm. and I think it was because I realized almost instantaneously that I had been carrying around a lot of misconceptions about reasons that people leave the church Mm -hmm. and they were they were reasons that just made it easy for me to not feel threatened so it i really believed that if someone lost their faith it was because they stopped trying or they were being lazy or they they didn't believe enough to like actually keep themselves out of something that i would have considered sin and so that was really easy. Like it was really fire in a sense yes like they kind of deserved it like Mm -hmm. you they weren't committed enough to keep themselves safe from doubt. But like I knew Tim just inside and out and I trusted him so deeply and I knew his heart. And so to to see him, you know, confessing this thing was really earth shattering for me because, and paradigm shattering because I knew that all of those things were untrue about him and that there was so much sincerity in this conversation that I, I realized whatever is happening, I don't understand it because it doesn't fit this worldview that I've always had. Like something real is happening because if there's a way that you can earn belief, he's earned it. And so if he doesn't have it, then no one is safe. And at the same time, I I was sort of instantly, or maybe in just like the next few days and weeks, I felt myself kind of falling into my own faith crisis because I had really leaned on Tim for strength because especially when we got married, I had had a lot of pain and a lot of questions, especially around church history and polygamy. And they were questions that felt too dangerous to explore. And that also felt like that felt wrong to get into it and be curious about anything. And I felt like the right thing to do was ignore it and put it on the shelf and just try not to think about it. But it was, it was, it tormented me. It was like, these were thoughts that would just come into my mind when I was driving on the freeway out of the blue. And they, they felt like they were squeezing my heart, you know, like it was so hard to just put them away. And, but I trusted Tim and I could feel his certainty and that strength. And so I, I really, that helped me keep all of those doubts and fears back, like trusting that he knew he, like he wasn't disturbed. So I can like keep my disturbed feelings at bay because I really, really do trust him. And like, if it's okay with him, maybe, maybe everything's okay. And so when that strength was withdrawn, it, to me, it kind of felt like the, my own floodgates burst and suddenly I had to deal with this idea that I had never ever really been able to wrap my head around which is like what if the church isn't true and like I I had honestly never been able to ask that question honestly because it was too big it was just I couldn't even wrap my head around like the truth of that of of that question like being able to ask it and really not know the answer the answer was always like no no you already know and like you I couldn't even entertain the hypothetical idea and until this moment and so that was the beginning of, of, of the journey that we're still on. And, and at the beginning, it looked like just this, 
this season of consumption, just reading and reading and reading and listening to podcasts and talking to people. And we were just like drinking in all the information that we could find because it felt like we had to. I felt like it, I, it was the only thing I knew to do. And, and I was really unsure about if that was even the right thing to do, but, but it was a fact that that shelf had completely collapsed and it was the only thing that I could do. And do you think it was coming back to what you said at the beginning about certainty? Do you feel like you were just needed to consume everything to try to regain that sense of certainty that oh, yeah. you wanted or yes, that you had absolutely. lost? Like I, I felt like certainty was something that you earned. And if, if you were being good and you were watering the plant and you were doing all the things, then the gift was that you would you would know. And so I felt like it was something that I had I had I had lost and I needed to get back. And so I I had a list. I had lists of like reasons the church is true and reasons the church isn't true. And everything I read got sorted into one of these lists. And it was like Interesting. this era of just trying to weigh is the church is is the church true? And then and then what felt totally attached to that question is, and do we stay? If the church is true, then we're staying. If it's not true, then we have to leave. It felt like it felt like that would be the right thing to do if it, if we discover that it's not true. And so we spent years reading and and just consuming all of this information and sort of acclimating. And to you this were idea just that, reading anything and everything at this point. Yeah, I was reading. I mean, yeah, I was I was reading um, a lot of history of the church. Because that was the, that was, it felt like that's probably the place to start with. It felt like, it felt to me at that time that understanding the origins of the church would tell me about everything else. Mm -hmm. So if I, so if I could prove if Joseph Smith's experience happened, um, then everything, then the dominoes would fall back or would be set back up again. And, and I think that I had learned that paradigm at church. I had learned that, you know, if you believe that the Book of Mormon is true, then Joseph Smith was a prophet. Then all of the, well, uh, you know, the way the church is operating then right the now makes true. sense. Like yeah. everything is in alignment. And so when one domino fell, consequently, all of the other dominoes fell. And so I felt like I was down to nothing. And it was, it was a really um, like disorienting time. So um, anyway, I feel like after years of this, we sort of, and, and just hours, I mean, hundreds of hours of conversation. It was, it was every single dinner after dinner, we were sitting at the table and just talking through all of our fears because that was, I mean, that is the word that encapsulates these years, just like the deepest fear, that fear that you're disappointing God, fear that there's not a God, fear that you're going to be purged from your community and fear that you're in the wrong community. They were just like fear about how to, you know, raise your kids and what your family's going to think about that. And it was, there were so many different things to mourn and, and complete uncertainty about what the future was going to look like. And so we had so many, we had so many things to work through together and we were never on the same page because it's such a fluid journey. Right. And so every conversation, you're just feeling so much tension about like, you know, I would, I would feel really nervous about if Tim was feeling less certain about the church than I was, that made me feel super uncomfortable. And if I was feeling less certain about the church than he was, and I felt bad and it was just this like constant discomfort. Um, but very slowly. So we, we moved to Boston because Tim was, um, he was starting business school and that sort of let the pressure out of the room a little bit. Our ward felt very similar to our ward in Utah because it was a lot of BYU people who were in Boston for a little while for school like us. Um, but it was, it kind of felt like a clean slate. We could just go be in a ward where there were no expectations and 
it was breathing room. And so those two years were, were a lot more peaceful than, than the years before when we were still at home and, and kind of like experiencing this with a lot of shame and doing it secretly, you know, not wanting our ward to know what, what was really going on. That was one thing I wanted to ask is like, did you have safe, I guess, quote unquote, people in your life that you felt like you guys could confide, confide in that you were going through this or did it feel like this big secret that you kind of had to keep as well? I think that there were safe people, but it, I didn't trust anyone with it. It was like, it was a big secret. It was just him. And, and, and like, I recognize that most people don't have their spouse to go through with this, go through this at the same time. And, and that was, it was really a gift to have that safe person be in the same house Mm -hmm. and we could be talking about all the time. Um, I think there are people who I could, I, sh- I wish I had trusted with that pain because I think that would have been, I think a lot of the reason why I stayed stuck in that space for so long was because of all the shame. Like it was because I wouldn't talk about it. And if I had just gone to the people I love and said like, this is the realest experience and I'm so scared. I think just being able to see that pain mirrored back to me and reflected would have been a really healing experience. And, and but it took, for me, it took getting out of my normal community and being somewhere new to have that experience, to have the experience of, of being known and loved in a different way to, to start like trusting myself with my own feelings and not being afraid that I would be rejected for this, this very real experience that I was having. So where I did find community though, um, outside of these new friends was also in podcasts. Like I started hearing scholars like Terrell Givens talk about faith in a way that I didn't understand. I could tell that he was talking and, and Fiona Givens too. They were talking about engaging with the church in a way that felt very foreign, but it also felt a lot more peaceful than what I was experiencing. And so I, that, that was a delicious feeling to me. It felt like I, I could feel my energy flowing that way, that they're onto something and I don't even, I don't totally understand it. And that opened up this whole new world. And so I started reading books by those authors, by, by Terrell and Fiona and by Patrick Mason and, um, and, and Thomas McConkie. And I just discovered this space where people were living in the church totally authentically and with complete intellectual honesty. And they were somehow at peace participating in the church and using the church as a vehicle to connect with God. And to me, that seems so paradoxical. And it was the first time I had ever seen that modeled. And, and so I just felt desperate to be in those spaces where people were doing that because I didn't understand it, but like, I wanted that. I wanted to be able to say, not everything depends on proving these truth claims because four or five, six years in, I'm, I'm realizing I'll never be able to have certainty either way. Like there are totally compelling reasons to believe the church is true. And there are totally compelling reasons to believe that it's not. And so just that deprivation of certainty was really destabilizing and it made me it made me so hungry to be with people who figured out how to deal with that kind of constant uncertainty. And so we had heard, Terrell was doing a, a podcast called Conversations with Terrell Gibbons and it was sponsored by the Faith Matters Foundation. And we didn't know what that was, but we were so desperate to be with people like him that we just reached out and said, is there, like, we just want to, be with you and like is there anything we can do to be helpful because we felt so desperate for that kind of community and influence and thankfully they were so small and they did need help and so we jumped in and Tim started doing um some things for them on the back end of their website and like we would help a little bit with gatherings but mostly it was just this place to breathe and just soak in 
this uh, this new way of engaging with faith that was really foreign to me but that felt so good to my soul and and that was kind of the beginning and then um and that opened up a new world of 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 people inside and outside of our faith who have found connection with God in uncertainty like that and and I think that was that's been the balm for me and it and it has been it has brought me the the deepest peace. I until that point I had really defined faith as this um like a temperature. It was like something that you could you could take my temperature and measure my belief that day. Like how much am I feeling like this is true? And that's a really fragile way to define faith. And it feels very much out of your control and and so it, it's really scary and it really depends it can on, kind know, of change at any moment right like yes, the temperature can it go slips it fluctuates your fingers yeah. yeah and and you, and you can't you can't make it anything that it you you can't make it anything it just is it is what it is and and it's so affected by new information that comes up like it, you it, it's so fragile and and this new faith felt like more like a relationship that was a choice um and it didn't depend really it didn't depend on something that i read or or some or a feeling it was a it felt more like a commitment like a like marriage it felt like a, a relationship i was choosing to be in and and it felt like i always had the the choice to be there and and that brought me so much um just it was a different kind of peace not the peace of knowing I'm right, which is what I thought. I, I thought I was feeling peace because I knew I was right. And when that was totally gone, it, I had this experience of having to learn how to feel peace in uncertainty. And I, I really believe that that's what the Bible is talking about when it says, when it talks about peace that passeth all understanding. I started feeling like I was in this place where like I couldn't explain why I was okay because I didn't know anything anymore. Like I didn't, I really couldn't explain my faith, but the peace felt so deep that it couldn't be disturbed. And I, and it occurred to me that like that, that's the paradox of the peace that passeth all understanding. It's not that it's logical. It's just that you are in this, you are in this deep relationship of love with God. And, and it doesn't depend on, on anything. It doesn't depend on the logic of backing up truth claims. It it's um, because it's relational. And so that's what I started learning from these Faith Matters people. And at some point, they Terrell was doing the podcast, but he was getting pulled in a lot of different directions and was just, they just were hoping to have a podcast that was coming out more frequently. And so Tim and I stepped in because we just still had a lot of genuine questions and we they just needed somebody who could ask these thinkers and writers um, the questions and that was maybe the one thing that we were qualified to do. Like, I'm sure we don't know what we're true. doing, but like, we really have genuine questions and are really curious. And, and it has, and that had become a real spiritual practice for me instead of avoiding questions. Like I would, I think in, you know, as a teenager, I would have told you that that was a spiritual practice, putting questions away and just choosing to trust. That was the way I kept my faith safe. And, and that has completely turned around and, and it is a spiritual practice to me now to mine for my realest, deepest question. And I am finding over and over that that is my doorway, like just centering and focusing in on like the exact pain that I'm feeling. That is actually the thing that can connect me to God and to people in my community and hiding from that or covering it always takes me out of that authentic space that, that, um, it's sort of, 
it makes it harder to feel that that real connection. And so in a way, the podcast has been very therapeutic because that's the practice that we get to participate in every week. You know, it's it's asking the very our very hardest questions that I really don't know the answer to and um, and interacting with these guests have it's been an opportunity to see them model this sort of new humility that I have so much respect for. It's sort of, it's the opposite of certainty, but, but it's a, it's a humility that provides so much more security than, than certainty ever did for me. Okay. I have so many <laughs> thoughts. I was, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, and true. I'm curious if, cause when I think about where I've come in my faith journey um, I'd be curious if you would say that you were similar in this way or not in just this feeling like everything was very black and white up until a certain point and then kind of having this point where it doesn't feel so black and white anymore and it definitely oh, yeah. feels like oh things that that felt like they fit so perfectly in either like of God or not of God or good or bad you know like anything that just felt so clear doesn't feel so clear anymore and there's just a lot more gray that I see and I can see all these different sides and like these issues and stuff that it's like, Oh, this, this thing that I felt so certain about, right. That was like, Oh, that is wrong or that is bad. It, it doesn't necessarily feel that way anymore. Yeah. And I think that can be scary because in some ways we're taught that that things are black and white. And so how do you kind of sit in that? You Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, totally. I have this friend, uh, Valerie Barton, who always says that she it's it's not black and white, it's rainbow. And I love that because I had this aversion to the idea of gray. That like gray is lukewarm and will be spewed and like yeah, don't yeah, call yeah. It, you know, it can't be gray. But I was having that experience too. And so I love the idea of rainbow that like, oh no, no, it's not that it's not that we're doing anything halfway. It's that, that this paradigm doesn't work because there's so it's so much bigger, there's so much more. So one thing that was really transformative for me was learning about stages of faith. And there are a lot of different frameworks, but maybe if it's okay, I'll share Please, one yeah. simple one that I really that really resonated with me. And it's um, from Brian McLaren. So his book, Faith After Doubt, kind of walks through these stages. And and this is this really was this idea of faith development all by itself was just such a relief because I thought you're either in or you're out. Like you're either moving forward or you're falling back. Like, you, you know, we hear those metaphors about you're either making progress or you're going to go with the flow and you're like mm -hmm. slipping backwards. And so that's really scary because it's so black and white. It's so like, it's so dualistic that it's scary if you, if you're suffering that you think, okay, I'm, this must be a worthiness issue. Mm -hmm. I must be not worthy of, of the spirit or I wouldn't be feeling all of these negative feelings. And so faith development was, is, is so revolutionary because it, it, um, puts into context these these seasons where you are experiencing doubt and sadness and worry and 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 it was this realization for me that this is actually part of of faith maturity this is actually like good for my soul and maybe this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and it's not because I did anything wrong this is just the next step and and that was the most healing thing because I didn't have all this dirty pain about the guilt the the guilt about what I was about all the negative things I was already feeling, you know, and it was layering all of this shame on top of the experience. It wasn't that there was something wrong. Like you said, yeah. it was like, oh, maybe this is actually very right. And yeah. this is where exactly I'm where at we're on supposed this. To be. Yeah. Yes. Do you, 
do you know the fourth stage? Yeah. So okay, you, so, okay. So simplicity is the first stage and that's kind of what you were describing. It's a really dualistic stage where the world is very simple and it's easy to sort all the whole, you know, your, your life and your experiences and people and, um, everything can be sorted into right and wrong. And, and those are usually easy to sort. It just seems very clear that someone is right or wrong. And, um, and you have usually in this stage of an external authority, like your, your, you're going to be told what's right and wrong. And th- that makes sense. Like you look to someone else outside of yourself for those, for that confirmation of what's right and wrong. And then um, oftentimes people will move out of simplicity into a stage called complexity, where you start realizing that the world is a little bit more complicated and it can't be explained always in such easy black and white terms. So a lot of times I think in the church, this can look like uh, um, apologetics where you start getting into like, what did the, what if, you know, what if there really weren't horses in the Americas in the Book of Mormon? And like, what, how can you explain that? And then you learn about tapers and you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't a horse. Like those, you start finding justification for the, these, these other anachronisms. And, and, um, so that can be like, maybe your spirit, like, and you, you might not experience those, that as mental gymnastics, but, but you're looking for complicated ways to explain what used to be simple. And you might start to recognize that, there are that other people have a complicated faith and that maybe you can't totally understand their experience and so there's just like there's a little bit more depth and dimension to your your experience of of faith and then some people have this experience of perplexity which is what is how i would define what happened when you know when tim came and said he he didn't have a testimony this is this is a stage that can be super uncomfortable and a lot of times the faith of your childhood sort of falls apart for you and you start really questioning everything and you and and for a lot of people that comes with so much pain or maybe anger you might feel betrayed by the things you didn't know or you might just feel devastated you may, it's like a loss it feels like a death and you want to keep this faith but it's just gone and you can feel angry in this stage and and um and i it, and this stage is hard because when you resist it, you kind of get stuck spinning here. And and we're taught to sort of resist it. Like it, I think a lot of times we're trying so hard not to feel a doubt that it's really hard to get to ever move through this stage. But there's really important work to do in every stage, including perplexity. And, and so, um, and maybe the most important thing that you do in perplexity is that you learn to be able to hold paradox. But that is, it's like mind and heart stretching work. And it is so painful to to let go of the safety of all the certainty that you felt before that stage. But at some point, hopefully you you finish the work in that stage and you kind of you move through into a new stage called harmony where you're finally at peace with this idea that you're not going to be able to come up with dualistic answers for everyone, you're not going to be able to understand what's right and wrong for everyone and you're able to feel peace um, inside paradox and you're able to feel peace inside the uncertainty and feel genuine love for people at every stage and not feel like you don't feel so threatened by where they are or where you you stop having this agenda for them and feeling like you need them to be in a certain place and 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 you may not have any more answers than you had in perplexity or complexity but you're able to to um really hold that peacefully and without all the angst that is oftentimes a part of the other stages so just having that, just having, and most most frameworks can line up line up similarly. They they'll have um, so James Fowler is another one that I really love. That's a little bit more complicated. And he has more stages, 
But it, I think it was so useful to learn about that because it gives you a trajectory. And I was in this, what felt like a total black hole with no hope, except if I could get back to where I was. And so having the face stages laid out was just kind of this, it, that all by itself brought me so much peace because it made me realize that this is, this is actually something I'm trying to move through, not get out of. And that this could be totally a positive healthy thing for my development that that may actually be good for my faith that like maybe God is part of this whole situation and and then I could at least let go of all of the shame and the guilt that I was feeling about being there in the first place so yes thank you for sharing the four stages stages. I've I've heard them lots of different ways but just having it laid out like that is really yeah that's a really simple one I think and there there's another one that might even be a little bit simpler um that I just listened to that's on the faith matters podcast I think it was from your event last year um, with the creation fall and atonement and so basically the idea of that is like the creation phase is where like all is well in zion right like everything looks perfect and it's easy and it's black and white kind of and then the fall stage is where it gets a lot more complicated and you have these doubts and these fears and whatever and then the the goal would be to move through that to the atonement phase where you can live in that complexity um, through Christ really. Right. Because that is how we can do that is by relying on him and having him be part of that puzzle. And I, that's a real, I I really do like that one because I think it captures this idea that as you move through the stages, you're hope you're, you're hopefully including everything that you've learned before. It's not that you're leaving it behind. You're going to take all of the gifts of that stage and all of the maturity that came with that stage and, and you're going to transcend it. And I think that atonement, that word, it completely, it completely captures that idea that there it's not that the stage the prior stage was broken you have to do the work of each of those stages and then because you need that like and you, each it, stage it, is required work to do. for the next stage yes. too like you had to have creation in order to have the right. fall and you had yes. to have it's the not fall that it's better it's not that anyone is better than the other it's that you're the way brian mclaren puts it is that it's like tree rings that this is all part of growth and you're just going to keep repeating you know after you've been in harmony for a while you're going to have another simplicity stage and then you're going to have another complexity stage and you're just you keep all through your life you're going to you're going to cycle through these same phases and that's how we grow and and i've started to believe that that is the point like my healthiest highest self is always reaching for growth. And so I, I like the idea that it's okay to be anywhere on that spectrum. And like, let's just do that stage all the way and just totally lean in and, and stop resisting it and see what that stage has to to teach us. And then, and then you know, in six months, who knows where we'll be, but but this is all good growth. These are all part of the tree rings of, of our life. And and they're the thing that is, that is you know, making us, the, the way we, you know, we talk about being perfect and how perfect really actually means being whole. Like this is to me is that process. Like this is how we become whole. We just, we do these stages and this is how we learn. And so I think it's important to understand, I think it's so important to understand the stages because otherwise we feel so much resistance to anything but simplicity. And, and that's just not where we're, that's, we, it's just not where we have to stay. If you, if you find yourself in complexity or you find yourself in perplexity, then like, okay, that's what your life is giving you. And like, that must be what your soul is ready for. And so let's totally embrace it and see what this stage has to teach you because it will be a gift and it will be painful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the growth, I mean, it's growth and growth is painful, but it's so necessary and helpful and ultimately why we're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the point of all of it. Right. I want to go back to what you were saying um, about finding 
faith matters and just the kind of the ideas that were laid out there and how you felt like it was more of a relationship for the first time. I, in the work that I do, is that's what I do with motherhood and helping women understand the relationship of motherhood rather than focus on like the checkbox tasks of caregiving. And I think there's something to be said there with a lot of times, I think our approach to church specifically is a lot of checkboxes. And we feel like that's how, you know, we measure if we're doing a good job, if we're reading our scriptures every day, if we're saying prayers, if we're attending the temple and all that kind of stuff. And the sad part of that to me is that I think you can really easily get so focused on those checkboxes, you don't really develop the relationship. And I mean, I have seen what it seems like, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but I've seen a lot of friends. Okay, I did say a lot. (laughs) Um, I've seen examples of people who it has taken stepping away from the church in order for them to develop a relationship with Christ or with God and them talking about how they they have so much freedom in that relationship now that they're not tied down, I guess, by the constraints of the church. Mm -hmm. And as sad as it is for me to see it, I kind of get it, you know, like I can totally see why once you're not confining yourself to these checkboxes and you give yourself the space and the freedom to just pursue the relationship in the ways that feel good to you. I could see why you would feel more connected. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just time is so incomprehensibly long that it's really hard for our brains to believe that, you know, what or, or to even imagine what will look like in five years or 10 years or 50 years, you know. And so our and our faith journeys are that way. Like it's we're, we it's so hard to not get completely sucked into what we're going to do on a Sunday. But like this is a life long journey. And and that was part of my experience too. There was an there was a, a time where I really felt like I actually just I you know, at the beginning of the faith crisis, it was that I my questions were all about the church, but like that belief in God was still very intact. And then several years into it, I felt like even that belief just slipped through my fingers and it started feeling like God all uh, the idea of God, just even that started deconstructing. And I started being able to, you know, look at all these experiences that I had where I thought that I had been in, you know, connecting with God. And I felt like I could explain every single one. I could explain that like my brain knew I needed comfort and created this experience and these sensations and these feelings for me. And, and everything is just about hormones and DNA. And then we're just going to die. And that felt like reality. That 100% felt like a reality to me. And I wanted to believe in something else, but there was just, I felt nothing. I felt completely alone. And, um, but I, I understood these faith stages and I didn't understand if it mattered. I liked the idea of living like a believer because it feels like maybe it's, you know, it feels like there's less to lose, you know, it maybe I'll, maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong, but like, what have you, what do you lose if you die and there's nothing, right. but I, and I liked the idea of a, a loving, an all loving God, but it, I didn't feel any of it. But as the years went by and, and I, and I kind of just dealt with the pain of being alone. The thing that actually arose for me is that I felt, I felt like for the first time in my life, I didn't feel any shame. And I think that I had never quite been able to un tangle God from shame. I always felt like I wasn't quite good enough. And so even though I like conceptually this, this being is all loving, I felt 
bad always. Like I just, there was always some, I should have gone to the temple more. I didn't read my scriptures with real intent or like that was a, that was a casual prayer. Like there was always this bar that I wasn't quite reaching. And when the idea of God disappeared, I felt amazing. I felt kind of like for the first time ever, I was good because I, I, I was like, I'm a good human being. Like I'm, I can eat, I sleep, I'm taking care of my body. Like I'm pretty healthy. Like I'm a thriving animal (laughs) (laughs) and I never had felt, I had literally just, I didn't know what it felt like to just feel good. Like to feel like I am good. I'm, 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 there's nothing broken or wrong about me. And that was the most healing experience I've ever had. And then very slowly I felt myself sort of opening back up to and this idea of God and and belief sort of started it it started trickling back in and 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 building up again and I don't even know why it just like it, it felt like it kind of entered my heart again and the more I felt open to that the the more it um, became something more real and and that has continued to happen over the years until it felt like it was actually um, the belief was really thriving and I felt like I was having real experiences with the divine that that I that didn't feel um I didn't I didn't feel like I had to question so much but as that happened I felt like I was so much more capable of of conceptualizing a God that actually loved me unconditionally. And I just really wasn't capable of that before this experience where God had to die, you know? And so when people, when people are in the middle of faith crisis, I, I like, that's what I always have in my heart that like, it's so impossible to imagine why your soul needs this, but it's probably exactly where you need to be. And I know that I needed a season of doubt so deep that I thought I was alone in the world because it was actually the most, healing experience of my life and 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 belief did come back and I'm not sure that it comes back for everyone but but it I feel like now the relationship I have with God is so much harder to articulate but it, there's a depth there that wasn't there before that that doesn't depend on anything it feels like the peace that passeth all understanding that we were talking about it feels like something that can't be so easily disturbed and that if it, it feels more constant than than when it did when I thought I knew God because and, and knew it with so much certainty, certainty that depended on everything, you know? And so I, um, one time Thomas, I think this was in an interview, Thomas McConkie said he described faith as, as falling. It's like, it's this experience of falling. And I've always remembered that because if you can imagine feeling peace while you're falling, like peace with that much, you know, uncertainty Uh, right yeah without yeah you have nothing to hold on to like you're literally you're so uncertain that you're just you're falling through the air if you can have peace in that moment then nothing can disturb you like that that is the deepest kind of peace and I thought what I was searching for was a I thought I was trying to change the situation so that I could feel peace I thought I was trying to like make my feelings right and make the church right and all of these conditions needed to be met so that I could feel peace and and this journey has been about letting go of it all like letting go of all of that certainty that I demanded because when you can feel peace in that uncertainty then nothing nothing can come nothing can take that away from you Mm -hmm. yeah I love that and it's like ultimately it comes back to we create our feelings and so if we 
we can choose to feel that faith or that whatever emotion it is that we're seeking, like even when the circumstances around us wouldn't yeah. necessarily yes. give yeah. that. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't yeah. expect it necessarily. And I think we, in the church, we are really good at the works side of yes. faith. And, and I think that's so important. Like that, that was such a good foundation for me. And it still is so much a part of who I am. But I think I needed to do, I think I needed to learn a little bit more about the contemplative side of faith. And it's been helpful to dig into more Eastern traditions and learn about what it, you know, learn about equanimity and learn about radical acceptance and all of these other ways that people practice being in communion with God. Because the, I, I think I'm just kind of naturally an anxious person. And so I I showed up to church with this filter of anxiety and I heard, you know, you pray and you fast because if you believe hard enough, then you're going to get what you, you're going to get those conditions changed. And so I, like, I brought a lot of anxiety to my faith and it's been really, it's been really healing for me to practice letting all of it go. Like what if faith actually looks like not asking for healing? What if faith looks like being completely open to trusting God's will? That it's not that you have faith, everything's going to be okay. It's, it, it's that you trust God, whatever, whatever is served like what if you just could really trust that that was going to be the best thing for your soul and you could you could you could receive it with totally open hands and i don't i think it probably depends so much on our own personalities and our own upbringing but i needed that was the practice that i need just this new way of engaging with god that looked like total trust and not asking not asking for anything to be different just complete openness and acceptance about whatever comes along when you were saying our focus on works, it reminded me of um, a Faith Matters episode with Thomas McConkie where he touched on this, and I'm not going to remember it perfectly, but basically he, em- not emphasized, but drew attention to as a church culture, we are so focused on the works, even to the phrase of like, oh, they're active, right? Like it's all <laughs> That's based true. on that. the yeah. actions that we're taking that are like those outward yeah. checkbox things, right? And while, again, those things have their place and they are helpful and they are a way to develop relationship with God, like so much of faith is actually inward and it's Mm -hmm. so much upward and it doesn't always have to be outward. Yeah. Um, Richard Rohr, so if if you want the simplest faith development framework, Richard Rohr talks about in his book, Falling Upward, the first half and second half of life. And he says that the first half of life, you need this structure and you're he says the first half of life is when you build a container. Like you've got lots of boundaries and rules and you're going to do it really like militantly maybe because that's your your stage of development. You're going to hear whatever the rules are and you're just going to check these boxes and it's really hard and it requires a lot of willpower. But that that is the stage of development that builds this container. And then in the second half of life, your job is to fill that container with your gifts that you're going to spend the entire rest of your life using to bless the people around you. So that container is actually what holds all of your gifts. And I totally see that in the church. Like that is 100% what my upbringing gave to me. It was it was grueling in some ways, but it was it built this container so that I was capable of more and more development as an as an adult. And so I think it it's trickier in the second half of life because there's not you don't get this to-do list. You know, if someone doesn't hand it to you and tell you exactly what what to do but of course not because that's the that's the whole point is that you're learning how you're, you're learning how to serve the world 
with the things that God has given you, but it, it feels a lot more free flowing and like a dance and you have to really learn to trust your own inner authority. And it's harder, I think, to figure out than it is to receive a checklist. But in some ways it's so much more beautiful and life-giving because, because it's this, because you're learning to be able to be in relationship with God that feels like a deeper trust yeah. than, than earning someone's love, which I think is an easy way to perceive these checklists like you're going to do these things so that you're good and it's a I think the painful switch between first and second half of life is learning to let go of the certainty that you get with the pat on the head like you know it feels really good to check the boxes and really believe that you're good and but and that's the thing that you lose but you also gain this this um just you know this deep about yeah I was gonna say not having a check depth of the relationship you gain because you it's rooted in something more than just yeah. the yeah surface level I yes guess. yeah yeah exactly but also and yeah but it transcends and includes that right like you need that era of checklists and doing hard things and fasting for this number of hours and and, and you'll and I think we we still do those things but in a with a totally different heart you know mm-hmm. like and so and I love that because it brings you right back to Jesus' words about not being able to judge. You know, like you'll you'll never know why someone is fasting. You'll never know if it's because they are trying to earn this badge or if it's because they're they're in this deep relationship showing love and receiving love. And probably it's a totally mixed bag. And we are just so beyond being able to judge that about each other. And I think maybe just one thing I would love to add about these space stages that, um, that Brian McLaren brought up. We were, after he talked about face stages, Tim and I had planned to ask him about how you, how, how do you get to be a, a stage four church? Like, how do you, wouldn't it be awesome if your whole ward was in harmony? And that just sounds like Zion, right? Like, isn't that Zion? And he is like, no, 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 no. The, the goal at church is to, to be a four stage church, not a stage four church. The goal is to have this community where everybody is allowed to be in their own stage and to feel totally accepted and loved and valued for all of the gifts that their stage brings because we're all on this journey of becoming whole, right? And we're all going to be repeating these phases. And so it, it wouldn't work to all be the same because then there wouldn't be any tension. And we're if we if we need to grow, then we need to be with people who are going to rub up against us and be kind of hard because that's the, what creates the friction that creates growth. And that was so revolutionary to me. And I it, it felt like it instantly dissolved so much of the resentment that I felt for people who I felt were were denying me belonging that I wanted, you know, and it, and it also gave me eyes to see that in the exact same way that I felt like they were taking belonging from me, I was denying it to them. You know, I was I was. I was pushing them away and believing that they were doing faith wrong because I thought that that's what they thought about me. And it was just, it was, it was, I remember the first Sunday that I went to our ward after that conversation and I saw this leader sitting on the stand who I have had a hard time with for a long, long time. And I just, I saw him sitting up there and I felt so much gratitude. Like you were doing your stage expertly and like, I, I genuinely felt grateful that he was showing up and being that stage person for me because I because I realized finally like I totally need that. I need him because he's the hardest person for me. And so we show up and have to work together. And like he has gifts that I'm I'm being blind to and and it felt like such a gift for him to be sitting there being that person because 
because his willingness to do that is what is giving me the tension that's going to grow my soul. And if he wasn't there, it would be so easy. I would just, there would, there would be no growth. And, and, and so I think that now, like anytime I'm struggling with a leader or a talk or, or a comment, it's when you have this paradigm of, of faith development, it's, and this idea that the goal is to be a place where all four stages are totally valued, then you can hear something and say like, okay, this feels like maybe a perplexity comment. And like, I love perplexity. Like, that's so awesome. Like, I'm so relieved and happy that we have a perplexity person right here. Or like, this is definitely a simplicity lesson. And like, holy cow, thank goodness somebody is here being the simplicity person because it's, 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 it's changing the energy in the room and like we're all growing a little bit and thank you to this harmony person who's able to see both sides and is and is raising their hand and like willing to be in pain with multiple people in this room who are at different stages and like we just we need all of it and we need all of it every week and that's a gift that our community really has because we 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 don't shop for congregations like you can't find a pastor who is teaching out of your stage you have to show up and be in community with your neighbors who are going to be a mixed bag but like that's why as eugene england said he um he wrote this essay called the church is as true as the gospel and 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 he wanted to call it the church is more true than the gospel whoa that's bold it's so bold right it was super provocative he decided but the church is as true as the gospel and what he meant is that if the point of the gospel is to provide this growth that makes us like God, then the church is the is the thing that is making that happen because it is hard. It's so hard. It's the place that we go and we have to practice giving grace and forgiveness and being patient. And and we, we actually get to put our money where our mouth is. And it's really easy to think that you're a Christian until you have to do any of the things that Jesus is asking, right? And so in that way, the church is the laboratory. The church is the school where we have to practice all of those things and instead of just reading about it and, and thinking that we believe it. You know, do you really believe it until you have to show up on a Sunday and and put up chairs with someone who who you totally don't understand or disagree with? Wow, I love that insight so much because I do think I've heard it. But as you were saying it, it was like, it's so good. It's such a good reminder too, to realize that the richness comes from having all of the stages represented and yeah. making space for them. Um, I, I have a question, but I'm like trying to figure out how to phrase it. And I just be, would be curious to hear, like sometimes people who, I mean, I, I think judgment goes both ways, right? People who are in the later stages can like judge the people that are in the earlier stages yeah. or like, why can't they see that it's not that simple? And mm-hmm. then the people in the earlier stages can judge the people in the later stages being yes. like, why don't they just see how clear this is, yeah. right? And how do you respond to people who feel like maybe because they've never doubted, because they've never felt that uncertainty, they are more faithful? Yeah, that's so hard, right? Like there, I think in simplicity, everybody can feel, everybody is sort of a heretic. Anyone outside of simplicity can seem like a heretic. Right. And, and I think in, in any later stage, looking the looking at a simplicity or perplexity stage, you think there's like, okay, there's naivete or like there's, or, um, or, or, or maybe there's this sense, yeah, this sense that if they, if they knew what you knew, then they would be in the same page. And, and I think that, um, maybe the, the 
the spiritual practice that is really useful when you show up to church is just deep humility. Like, do you really believe what Jesus said about not judging? Because, and you know, like, what if you, what if you really went to church with the intention to, to be open to learning? And, and that's, it's hard because it, it brings out the false self, right? It brings up things, all of your insecurities when you're feeling threatened are going to come to the surface and you're going to feel like you need to defend and protect them. And, and faith is such a vulnerable place that you're probably going to have a lot of those insecurities. And so I, I think it's really useful when you're feeling that energy from somebody, or maybe it's an explicit comment to just get, to, to get centered on, on where your own heart is. Because I think when you feel solid about your own, your own faith, and you don't, then you don't take such a defensive posture. And when you're feeling really insecure about that, you feel like you have to defend that this person thinks this about you. And, and like, that's just, that's a really uncomfortable place because you have no control and you're probably never going to have certainty about how they feel about you either. So if you, um, I think if you feel like you have to prove your faith to someone, then it, it, it puts you into this real deep, um, scarcity mindset and, and, and you, you kind of give them all of your your capacity to feel peace. So I think usually when when I notice that energy come up in me, my my go to um, practice is to to try to like really figure out what's coming up. Like what what is making me feel secure? Like is there some truth to what they're saying? Maybe like because a lot of times that's the that's the thing. You know, if somebody came up to me and said that. I stole their shoes. Like I wouldn't feel defensive about that at all. I would just be like, "That's super weird." <laughs> like, I, didn't steal, I don't. I don't steal shoes. But I think a lot of times when you hear somebody criticizing your faith or saying a comment that makes you feel defensive, it's because there is some part of you that is worried that they're that they're maybe a little bit right. And so you, it doesn't cost you anything to do that inner work and figure out what is it that what what is it that's like pinging like what is it that's causing this emotional reaction to come up and it's not because you need to defend yourself to that person but like isn't that interesting that like you had this really big response to something that they said and and that can be really revelatory to you personally like maybe this is a blind spot and you're maybe you're living it up in your perplexity and feeling so you know starting to feel a little self-righteous about your stage and and something that this simplicity person said just really lit you up and you don't know why. And like, what a gift that now you know there's some, there is some part of you that feels very insecure about something. And, and now, you, now you know that about yourself and you can kind of turn inward and start working on what that would be. And then when you come back to the table, you feel more secure about where you are and, you, and then you hear comments and you'll be able to, it, it's sort of a way for you to gauge where you are spiritually. And, and I think when you come with the security of, of knowing that or really believing that you're right with God or that your heart's in the right place, then, then those, those comments and those opinions don't feel as threatening. So it's a, hum- I guess it's a humility. I think that, I think yeah. that's the key in any stage because you're going to get it from, you, you'll get it every stage can, can feel those critical, can feel that, those critical eyes. Yeah. I love that answer. Thanks for sharing. All right, one last thing I want sure. to discuss before we head into our final segments, but um, and that is just this phrase that you've used a lot, and you even referenced that essay of like the church being true, and like that was mm-hmm. kind of the question that you set out to determine was yeah. the church being true, and the reason why that th- that phrase is like triggering feels too strong of a word, but it's yeah. always kind of one that's like, huh, 
Because we do put a lot of emphasis on the church being true and like trying to dis- decide or discover if the church is true. And in my mind, I don't even know if that's a productive question to ask yeah. because the church it is changing. Like we we know we are still in a restoration. Like the restoration yeah. is not over. It's some it's a process that we are currently experiencing. And so I think by putting so much emphasis on the church being true doesn't really allow the church to change. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people when the church does like when they focus their testimony on the church being true and then you know church goes from 2 hours from 3 hours to 2 hours or whatever it is mm-hmm. it can jolt a lot of people and being like oh well I mean I don't think anybody was so upset about that change that was a bad example but there you know some <laughs> other <laughs> everyone was on board with that um, other <laughs> types of things that could like really shake you if that's where your foundation is and so i don't know i guess when i think about it yeah i guess i'm just curious to your thought (laughs) i think yeah i think this is a really important thing for people to examine on their own my question for myself was what do i lose if i if i stop making that my top priority Mm -hmm. and kind of the only thing i could come up with was like the superiority of believing that i was the most right You know, like I, if I, that's what I really, I wanted to know I was doing it the most right way. Like I wanted to believe that we really were this special, that there we're in the 0.001% or whatever. I don't remember what the ratio is, but like that was kind of feeding my ego in a way that I think was actually totally detrimental to my spirituality. And so it was a really stretching thought experiment to say like, what if I just stopped asking that question? And, and, and I feel like the result has been that I, it's just been the gift of humility. It's been this, it's been this fact that I have to grapple with, like, maybe somebody else has insight about how to connect with God. And am I losing anything by being open to that? And, and, and it's also giving me eyes to see why else I value the church. Like, do I only show up because I genuinely think because I genuinely believe that all of these truth claims are historically and factually true or or is there is there goodness outside of that and and that is a real question that I think everyone actually has to ask and I and I think there are probably people who will fall on either side of the answer to that question and for me what felt what felt very real is that there are really good fruits in the church that are not about the truth claims and, and that's actually the only thing that I have access to. Like, I'm never going to be able to know for sure if Joseph Smith saw God. And I'm never going to be able to know for sure if there was an actual literal Moroni. And so what if I just stopped obsessing about it and looked for good fruit in the way that the, the church is serving me now? And I don't feel like I've lost anything except for a little bit of pride about knowing best. So I I know that's I know that's not like titillating like it's more exciting to believe that there's one one totally true thing and that we happened we got so lucky that we got it but I in that in that same vein I I believe it's completely true because this is where I was put and it is it's a vehicle that is connecting me to God that is totally working and I think that is what true means like it it is 
it is like as in true north, like it, it's putting me in perfect alignment to become my very best self. And so, so this obsession with, with like, is it the truest? Is it the one and only living true? That was actually becoming sort of a barrier to, to real connection to God because it was, because it was this, this place where I felt very self-righteous and proud and, and it just doesn't serve me. So I, yeah, I think that would be interesting and wonderful if the church was the one true living church. But I don't think that's, it's good for me to know that. I think I, I think what's good for me to know is that there's really good fruit here and that I, and I think God wants me here. And I don't know if God wants everyone in the world here. I don't know because I don't, I don't know. Like God has relationships with those people. And I, I believe that they can figure that out for themselves, but I feel like I'm meant to be here. And I feel like this is a totally, this is a totally working vehicle for me to find God and to find my highest best self. And I think that there, I think, you know, for people who are like, no, you know, this is what Joseph said. Like, this is the one true only living church. I think that like, that's true. He, he did. But I, but I, I think we're always going to be limited in our understanding of how to interpret what happened 200 years ago. And, and there, um, and there is a lot of evidence that one true living was was a phrase that was used to mean loyal, you know, like a real true friend. He, he would sign his letters to Emma that way. Your one true living friend. And I don't think that he meant that Emma only had one living friend. <laughs> she didn't friend. have any other friends. Yeah. No, but he was so loyal. He was like, I, w- I would do anything for you. Like I am all the way in your one true real friend. And and that's what I that is. That is how the church functions in my life. Like it is the place where I can go and know that I'm going to be pulled and stretched and put into alignment with God because of the hard things that I have to grapple with in this space. And so it, in that way, it is 100% the one true living thing in my life. And I have a really deep humility about my place in the world and everybody else's. And, and I think that paradigm has served me more than this, this obsession with the certainty of knowing if I'm the only one who has it all. Well, and I think Joseph Smith also expressed that there's truth in all things. And that as members of the church, it is our duty to seek out that truth and to find it. He modeled that. Yeah, regardless of the source. And so I think to assume that we have a corner on truth or that truth can't be found in any other place is fundamentally against part of the doctrine of the church. Well, and that's what you lose, right? Like if you believe that you have, if you believe that the fullness of the gospel means that you have all of the truth, then, then the result of that is that you don't look outside of your own tradition, right? And, and I think if you have this humility that, we're, like Joseph said, that we're going to gather truth, let it come from whence it may. Yes, exactly. And you're always looking for things that are virtuous and lovely and of good report and bringing that into your spirituality. Like that's the most delicious fruit. And I, and I, I feel like we have really beautiful gems to offer the world. And I think that there are other wisdom traditions and faith traditions that have really beautiful gems to offer us and that we only have something to lose if we cut ourselves off from believing that somebody else might have wisdom or truth to, to be gathered. Yeah. I love that. Um, just to sum up and then we'll move on, but I just, I guess if you are someone listening who is searching for truth, maybe instead of the question of like, is the church true? It could be more like, where are the truth? Like, what is this truth? Are the truths here bringing me closer to God or is the book of Mormon? Because even like 
is the Book of Mormon true? Like, there's so many definitions of where you could take that. Like, yeah. is it a true history yeah. book? Like, no, it's it's yeah. a record, right? So it's not going to be true in the fact that, like, different people have different experiences. And so they, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Like, poetry, poetry is true. Or, like, the, someone's it, journal. Like, it's true yes. for them in that oh, time point. and space, yeah. right? But, like, does that mean that it is 100% fact? Like, yeah. No, it's their experience. And yeah, it, I just don't think it's useful to upset because that's a, yeah. those are really good points. Like a, a it, yeah, a journal is, you have to believe that that is true. Like that was an experience. You, you, you hear a poem that really resonates with you and like, that's true, even though it has, it's to all metaphor. You know, there are so many different ways to understand that word that it just feels like maybe that's just such a distraction. Yeah. And we're, we're here to grow and, and grow our souls. And if it is helping you to believe that this is particularly true, then, then maybe you just lean into that all the way and, and keep building up that faith. But if you're in a place where that is causing a lot of insecurity and, it's and becoming a worry, stumbling then, block more yeah, than that. then maybe yeah. you start looking for goodness yes. and like, okay, there is goodness here. What are the good fruits here? And, and like, let's keep gathering good fruits from all over and bring it into my Mormonism because that, because that's going to all be part of my growth. Perfect. Yes. Thank you. That was what I was trying to you nailed it. You did it. No, you said it. <laughs> we got there together. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, we will move on to our next okay. segment. Fun. We can like take a deep breath. Okay. That was, I loved ranting with you about that. Though. That was so great. <laughs> My voice is even sounding a little bit low. Rant of the week. So do you have one? Yes. Okay. My rant of the, the week is breakfast food. Oh. My four-year-old or my five-year-old insists on eating chicken nuggets and cheese sandwiches for breakfast. And I always feel so guilty about that and try to talk her into eating like sugary cereal and pancakes and dessert for breakfast. And I realized this morning I was microwaving chicken nuggets at like 8.45 and realizing what in the world? Like this is the best, this yeah. is a way better protein. breakfast. She's going to get like 25 grams of protein. And I always feel like such a bad mom every time I do that. But I don't know, it's her preference and... Uh, yeah, power so to her let's stop I yeah, love it let's go for it <laughs> I no totally and like I feel like I'm noticing this I feel way better when I eat protein me too for breakfast. I'm like drinking a protein shake and like all bugged that she's not having Pancakes. fruit loops <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, oh that's amazing go. <laughs> so good I completely agree yeah whoever yeah whoever decided what qualifies as a breakfast food like donuts like really is that that's that... why I love breakfast food I just don't understand her but I respect it now so <laughs> I'm totally with her I will eat dinner like the din- for breakfast yeah that like I will have so leftovers me, from dinner the night before like if I for breakfast oh yeah like if I, I went to a restaurant that. and like had a burger and I have some leftover you better believe I'm gonna have that for breakfast <laughs> Okay, I feel like my daughter was raised in your house. Like she just, she's the only one in the family, and she just always—it's not just chicken nuggets and cheese sandwiches, but those are her go-to. Uh-huh. And like, she just has dinner on her mind for lunch. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we'd hit it off. But there you go. We didn't hang out. Um, okay, my rant of the week is heatless hair curler thing. What is that? I'm obsessed with it. It's just this little like—it's basically a bathrobe. The brand that I have is Cozy Confidence. Um, you just wrap your hair around uh, it and you go to sleep. Yeah. And uh, then just heatless curls. Is that what you did? Yeah. It literally looks like a bathrobe. Okay. And then you just wrap your hair around it. It, it takes Facebook. maybe a minute and a half. Yeah. And then you just go to sleep and you're good to go. I, awesome. everyone needs one. Okay. And then the final segment yeah, is a hot take. Oh, fun. Okay. Okay. 
And, I mean, now since we're talking about it, you're going to yeah. give your hot take on the best breakfast. Oh. Go. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, if it's a restaurant, there's a there's a place in Orem called True Religion that is every single, everything I've ever had there has been the best breakfast. It's so good. They have biscuits. like this, They call them cat head biscuits, and they're the size of a cat head. But breakfast in general, I love Eggs Benedict more than anything. I've never I love had Eggs it. Benedict. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. It's really hard to poach eggs, yeah. but but so worth it. I just love that taste. It's like English muffins, poached eggs, and hollandaise sauce. I always right. think of um, Runaway Bride. Yes! <laughs> and I remember, it always bugged me that she said she loved Eggs Benedict because that is not a fair comparison. Poached eggs is the comparison. Like scrambled eggs, oh, fried eggs, poached eggs. But that's she's like, true. Scrambled eggs, fried eggs, or... German pancakes, like it's just right because it's a part. The egg is part yes. of the meal. Oh it's gosh, the my timer's going off again. It is the meal. Like it's a whole meal with amazing things. Like, that is such a good point, and I've never thought about that. <laughs> I didn't either because I didn't know what eggs Benedict was until I had them and was like, that's the dumbest. That's <laughs> so funny. Oh, oh that's buddy. hilarious. <laughs> okay, well, thank okay. you again. That was so fun. Thank you. End rant. Yeah. Ooh.